morning. It's a special day for, for two reasons. The first is that it's Groundhog Day, February the 2nd. Uh, and just so you're aware, Punxsutawney Phil did not see his shadow, so that means an early spring. So you, you can count on it because he has a 48% accuracy rating. <laughs> they pulled him out of his little hut on, on Gobbler's Knob uh, there on that hill. He lives in the Punxsutawney Library the rest of the year, except for this one day. Uh, and uh, I, I heard that uh, the, the male is the first groundhog to come out in spring because it's looking for a mate. Now, what the connection is between that and Jim's birthday, I don't know, but you, you can figure that one out. To, ce to celebrate Jim's birthday, Catherine's intention was that they go to Punxsutawney and actually see this great event. But probably it's good that you didn't because our district office in western Pennsylvania of the Alliance was in Punxsutawney. The township itself has less than 6,000 people and it swells to about 10 to 15,000 just for this one day. So you probably don't even get near Gobbler's Knob to see anything. You probably need a big screen to see it. So uh, they, they ended up not having those plans and decided to actually have a day where they could recognize Jim's birthday with his church family and family and friends here at the church. And so uh, Jim has served for 22 years uh, serving our Lord and our country at VMI as a chaplain and pastor there uh, on that campus. Uh, and uh, uh, the Lord has used him prior to that in ministry, uh, and so we're grateful for that. Uh, and so, Jim, just a reminder that, that uh, Abraham was 75 when God sent him on his journey. And Moses was 80 when he was called to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And if you know anything about George Mueller, it was when he was in his 90s that he actually became his speaking tour and went around speaking about the faithfulness of God in answering prayer. So God's not finished with you yet. So this is just the beginning of the next ch uh, chapter and phases of your life. And so it is my distinct privilege to have bring to us the word of God this morning, Colonel, Chaplain, Chap, Pastor, Jim Park. I want to begin with some thank yous. And uh, the leadership board of the uh, church for um, allowing Catherine to put together this birthday celebration for me, which she began back in June. And I have heard about literally every day since she first mentioned it in June that I was turning 70 today. So I am so looking forward to tomorrow. This will be. <laughs> Thank you to the pastor and the leadership of this church for welcoming us into this fellowship and then allowing us to be proven, uh, to be faithful in loving this church and this body and then allowing us to serve in, in leadership and ministry here with each of you. I wanna say thank you to uh, my dad, Steve Park, who's 95, who's traveled down with my brother, Jeff, from Pennsylvania. Thank you so much, dad and Jeff. I, I think I need to say, uh, it's, it's a wonderful occasion when my dad can be both with his oldest and favorite son. <laughs> Interpret that any way you want to, Jeff. 
no. <laughs> Very good. And my, my daughter, Christy, in from Los Angeles, and my son, Kyle, who's down from Buena Vista, lives locally with us in Virginia, and my two grandsons, Nathaniel and Cody, who join us as well as family. So just delighted to have my personal family celebrating uh, the day with me as I make this next decade's turn. And uh, then to uh, family from the Virginia Military Institute who um, joined me in life for 22 years. I look out at the, the faces of those. Uh, I look at two of these women who I spent time with them and their husbands in their bedrooms as their husbands were readying themselves to enter into the kingdom. I look out at others who uh, I participate in their marriage ceremonies and brought them into marriage with one another. I look out and see one brother here, uh, Chris and Ashley, uh, Chaplain Chris uh, Perry from North Carolina, uh, Fort Bragg, who drove up this morning, uh, drove three and a half hours and was on time, made your SP and your, your uh, objective. Well done, Chris. Uh, I was a part of Chris's ordination coming into the military chaplaincy. So uh, delighted to have so much history um, represented here today. Christine Taylor with 10 of her kids, only about four or five of them are here today. Uh, two of them I helped to get into VMI just by way of the relationship that I had with one who's now graduated in the Marine Corps, and uh, uh, William, who used to come down to our quarters and clean our quarters so that we could contribute to their family by way of uh, giving him payment for the work he did for us. Uh, and their boys, their two little twins who were little twins, and now they're much bigger. So, and Titus, thanks for driving down from Pennsylvania. And, uh, Nancy, uh, thank you for the history that we've had. Just so many of you that have been part of my, my life. And I just want to say in my spiritual development, Tim Decker, who's uh, been, I would say, both a spiritual mentor and uh, a contemporary brother active in the ministry uh, at the chapel. And others who greeted me that weren't able to join us from uh, VMI, but part of our rich heritage of the things that God did in our living together. And I just thank you so much for contributing to my spiritual development as a man of God and one who loves Jesus. Um, thanks for joining us. Rob, I saw Rob Krieger here as well. Thanks, Rob, for coming across town to be with us today. He surprised me with his attendance. And to my current church family, who I love very much and I'm very much invested in being a part of your lives, and thank you for allowing. And our neighbors, I just saw Don and Emily from across the street who prayed us into our house, the house that Sharon sold to us, Sarah Gibson sold to us, but Don and Emily prayed for a Christian family who lived across the street from them, and we were delighted to make company with them when we first uh, arrived here. So for all of you who've been a part of our life prior to Roanoke and, and now since, um, we're deeply, deeply grateful that we have family uh, with each of you, and you've been a part of our life and history. And first and foremost, I wanna say thank you to my wife, Catherine, of 41 years, who has been such a tremendous faith partner to me. Um, I attribute a great deal of what God has done in my life to the input of this woman. So I'm so grateful, hon. Uh, and while I badgered you for the last six months about making such a big deal about this day, thank you for expressing your love toward me by doing all that you did. I just so appreciate it. So what might I say uh, on this day, landmark day? New decade, excited about a new decade. You know, when you're younger, you don't, I don't think, think about decades. You think about the next year maybe, what you hope to do in the next year. But when you get to be 60, at least for me, I came into the 60s saying, the 60s have not seen the likes of Jim Park. 
Um, as I approach the 70s, I'm a little bit more humble because um, the 60s about kicked my tail end. So, uh, but coming into the 70s, maybe a more mature theme for my life is uh, deeper, richer, more. More love, more life, more family, more God, just more, God. I want more. What I've received so far has been so wonderful. God, if there's more to be had, I want more because in you I find life. So I want to begin by, um, and my senior saints here among us, uh, Bernie and Don and Carlene and Louis Farmer, folks who I spoke to in the last couple of weeks and said, could you share some thoughts with me about what is it that has sustained you into your 80s, in your 90s, that I might hear some truth from each of you. And thank you for taking a few moments to uh, both share in notes and in conversation, but most especially just your consistent witness, your lives that speak to us who are coming up behind you about what faithfulness looks like, what endurance looks like, what loving God looks like. So thank you uh, that you've gone before us and we honor and regard you for your faith and for the way that you've inspired my living. I want to begin then by reading in 2 Corinthians in the third chapter, verses 2 and 3. It says, You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. From this, I take the understanding that each one of us who walks in a faith relationship with Jesus Christ is a letter being written by God's Spirit for the purpose of others to observe so that they might see in us the reality of a living God. The good, the not so good, that which is largely sin and a, a wrong heart, as well as the repentant, uh, the sorrow for misdoings, and then the embracing of God's forgiveness and finding more life and hope and challenge and opportunity uh, ahead of us. Um, each one of us who is, even before we come to faith in Christ, the letter is being written of who God is to us and through our living. Um, so, it's, so it's my intention uh, to share a little bit out of this letter of 70 years, maybe a couple of the pages that, um, that I don't often refer to as I meet with groups, because maybe they're a little bit more transparent, a little bit more honest, maybe a little bit more hurtful, more challenging, but in the end, some of the most wonderful things that God did in my living experience by making himself more real to me. So I want to share some of the pages out of the letter that God has written of my life with you. And I want to have you turn now to Philippians chapter 1 in the first chapter, 12 through 21. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, which could be said of each one of us. The events that have happened in our life have their underlying purpose of advancing this gospel of Jesus Christ. As a result, 
It has been become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains, and I underline that in my Bible because of my life experience of being in chains. I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry and others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false mortars of true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, for my good, for the sake of the gospel. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I emphasize that these things have happened to me for the purpose of serving the advancement of the gospel, that I'm in chains for Christ's sake, that by way of your prayers and the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out to be for my deliverance. And now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my life, whether by life or by death. So let me just touch back on the beginning. And I'll only touch on this lightly because it's a part of my story, my letter that you've probably read before. 50 years ago, just three weeks ago, 50 years ago, just three weeks ago, while I had been a young person throughout my life, exposed to church, not because of my mom and dad, because they weren't church-going people, I was exposed to church by an aunt who lived up the hill who began to take me to church as a young person, and somehow it awakened in me this vein that ran through my soul of a sincere interest and desire to know God. I can remember as a young boy walking from my house five blocks to the church, saying as I walked down the street, oh God, if you just show yourself to me, if you just prove yourself to me, I would believe because I want to believe. Could you just do something to make yourself real to me? So from the time as a young person, this vein kind of coursed through my life with this yearning to know who is God? Is he real? Is he alive? So a sincere desire to know God. And it was this time 50 years ago, as a 19-year-old, almost 20, that a young man, Rick Jones, one year older than me, in a Bible study group in the barracks of West Point, talked to me about the gospel. The gospel? Yes, the good news message that became the link between my desire to know God and the means by which God would make himself real, Jesus Christ. I learned that this person that I'd read about in church had lived and died the Son of God, God incarnate in the flesh, and that while he lived a life in obedience to God without having ever wronged God his Father, he died on a cross in my place, judged, condemned, rejected, penalized by way of death. Christ, the innocent Lamb of God, took our place in his dying and demonstrated that he was, in fact, the true and living Messiah, the Son of God, 
by three days after his death, resurrected from the dead and witnessed by over 500 people who make record of it in this book, that Jesus Christ, a living person, one who walked in this earth in our flesh and blood, experienced life, knew our life experience, sympathized with our living, gave himself to rescue and redeem lost sheep, sheep without a shepherd, so that we might know what it is to have life, life abundantly, by having a relationship with the God who brought us into living, our creator. And when I heard the gospel, that message that night, it was the first time I understood what Jesus Christ did and who he was. So that as I left that Bible study group, Rick Jones approached me and said, Jim, would you like to know Jesus Christ as your savior? To which I, without hesitation, said, well, yes. He said, would you pray with me? And I said, I would. And Rick prayed, and in my own heart, I said, oh, God, I know I'm not the man I'm supposed to be. Yes, I was a West Point cadet. Yes, I was an Eagle Scout. Yes, I've been the oldest of five younger brothers, raised in a good family. But I knew that I was not the person I was supposed to be. I was falling short. And so I said, God, I know I'm not living the way I should. Would you please forgive me? And Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you live in me and be my Savior and let me really know you? Amen. And from an earnest heart and prayer, God made himself real to me such that the next morning, the 8th of January, 1970, I stood in formation at 6 o'clock in the morning in the dark of New York, outside of our barracks with a floodlight shining down on the courtyard. And as I stood there in uniform, as we always did, I could see the vapor of my breath coming up before my eyes in the light from the barracks. And in that moment, I recognized something is happening in me. I, could, I can sense some newness happening in me. And I immediately thought about the prayer I prayed the night before and realized God was making himself real to me. I so began to hunger after knowing God. I said, if I'm going to believe in Jesus, I better find out who he is. So I started reading my Bible ferociously. I just got into the scriptures and started reading the Bible. I was so excited about the change that was happening in my person that within days I was telling my friends, God is real. I've accepted Jesus Christ. He's made himself real. Within three weeks, my best friend, Mike Dugan, and I sat together in his room. And he asked me what had been happening in the Bible study. And I began to tell him how my life had been changed because I accepted Jesus. And Mike Dugan, an academic star guy, the, the sinless guy that I knew, I mean, the most perfect cadet I knew, began to weep as this three-week-old Christian shared faith with him. And he said to me, I'm not who I pretend to be. I need to be forgiven for my sin. Can we pray? So I, I was three weeks old and older. I didn't know how to really pray, but I started praying. And then I paused thinking he would pray to himself like I did when I accepted Jesus. And he began to pray out loud, just confessing his sin and asking God, please save me. Got up from the seat with Mike, walked to the door of his room, turned around to shake his hand and say, see ya. And as I did that, he put his hand out to me. He grabbed my hand. He looked me in the eyes. He said, Jim, thanks a lot. And I literally floated down the hallway to my room. And I thought, this is life living in the purpose of God and being able to share Jesus and seeing somebody else come to a genuine faith in Christ. Mike has gone to be with Jesus. He died of early Alzheimer's back uh, around the age of 60. Uh, 
But he, his wife, his son and daughter have all come to faith in Jesus Christ and are walking out a relationship with the Lord. So that's where it all began for me. Shortly after I accepted Jesus, I read in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything's been made new. And I knew in that moment as I read that verse, I thought of that morning when I felt something happening in my soul. I said, oh my gosh, this book is true. That's what happened to me. And so that, again, just stirred me up to start reading this Bible to find out what else God might have to say to me. Now, I got very excited about faith. And initially, I started changing all my outward behaviors so that I could conform with what the expectation was of being a Christian. So I quit this and I quit that, and I won't tell you what those are, but I quit those things. And I started to just conform and outward behavior. And I thought to myself, and this will give you a clue as to what God wanted to work on next. I thought to myself, well, God, it's been about four months. I pretty well changed everything that needs to be changed. You're going to have to get really nitpicky with me now to find something that's got to change. Oh, my Lord. And the biggest, the biggest obstacle in my life that God brought light on was the pride of Jim Park and his need to find a way to crush me in love. Shortly after an experience in Christ, we were at a Christian retreat, probably maybe within that year. And during that retreat, as they preached on the message of Jonah running from God, God reminded me of an event in my life as a cadet, where as it came to my attention, I realized I violated the honor code of West Point. I was shaken to the core, scared beyond belief as I was now a sophomore getting ready to enter my junior year. When I went to my friend Mike Dugan, who was there, who was an honor court representative, and said, Mike, here's what I've done. I feel like I broke the code. I need to go back and confess it to the honor court and let them make their judgment. My dad drove three hours away because I was in tears when I called home. He said, Jim, I'll be right there. And he came to join me at that retreat, which during that weekend, he came to faith in Jesus. So as a result of then coming before the honor court and describing my situation, it was such a traumatic experience because it challenged everything in my living, my reputation, which was established in my hometown in the Corps of Cadets, in which I had pretty well propped up with all my effort that I might suggest to people that I was, in fact, the person that I was portrayed to be by way of my outward behavior. And they judged me not guilty, but the experience left such a deep impression on my life and a fear that I could not shake the perspective of beginning to measure my life in every respect. And living in a society of not lying, cheating, stealing, or tolerating anyone that did, I began to apply this as a law to my life, such that I was measuring every word coming from my mouth and the behavior of those around me, and was literally driving myself nuts. Paul says that it's impossible for us to live up to the letter of the law because the letter of the law kills. In my experience, it was having such a killing effect on my life. I did not know how to get free of it. I questioned 
many of the remaining months of my cadetship whether I should or should not graduate. I went to other mentors and advisors and shared my heart and just struggled with what should I do, what should I do. And I finally accepted a diploma and graduated, though begrudgingly, because I was not sure that I could honestly say I had lived up to the standard of West Point. You'd think that once I left the school and got into the military, that would have gotten behind me, but it did not. It plagued me. It plagued me. It, it, I look back over my cadetship in those early years, measuring everything I had done and finding that I had other offenses that I felt that I committed. Till eventually I, I looked for every way that I might make my own record clean. I even wrote a letter to the superintendent of the academy, confessed all the fault that I could remember doing, and waited for his judgment. To which he basically responded and said, forgetting the past, I pressed toward the mark of the high calling. He quoted scripture in the letter to me. And I thought, oh my goodness. And you would think that would be enough. But quite honestly, the spirit of darkness, the adversary, Satan, the devil, got so gripped on my soul that he moved me from fear of guilt to condemnation, to fear of fear, so that each morning, for the space of 10 years of my living, as a person in their early to early 30s, early 20s to early 30s, and then some. Within the first minute of every day that I woke up, as I looked in the mirror, I could feel this sense of I'm not sure I can make it through the day. Every day compelled me to go to God. Every day provoked my desire to find God and find if there was anything else I needed to do to make my soul right with him, though repeatedly he would remind me that I was forgiven. Praying, fasting, crying out to God. The only time I ever really found per per peace was in the presence of other believers as we worshiped or when I'd be alone in my room by myself reading the scriptures on my knee praying or raising my hands up to God and worship and just looking for one more word. God, just give me one fresh word today to get me through this day. Day by day, I learned to live in this relationship with God, and I pressed in and I pressed in. It was in that experience, though I, I begrudged it. I, did, I didn't want to be there. I was looking for a way to escape it. I could not find the way out. And yet in that time, that crucible, that crushing, I find myself coming to the place where I was appreciating the word of God. I was appreciating the spirit of God. And I was looking for God, where is the power as a believing person to bring me out of this deep darkness? I was in a time of severe discipline. God had intentions for my life, but he knew that I would be ineffective in his calling so long as Jim Park was seated on the throne of his life and saw himself as capable of doing all things and so God made it his primary purpose to bring me to the place where I recognized, God, if you don't draw near me to the, end, to the end of this day, I fear for my life that I might not survive it. I'm saying this to you honestly. And so by that, I'm saying to you, I struggled and fought against suicidal thoughts regularly as a believing person. Scared me to death that they would even come into my mind. I would try to get them away. I would try to think on other things. 
I struggled with it almost on every occasion. Most people would never know it. I kept it so hidden and just to myself. But for the better part of that whole span of time in my life, God crushed me and made me sense that without him, I would not survive. So this brings me to a place as I talk about this crushing experience and the, the work of God in my life to just humble me under his mighty hand so that in due season he might raise me up. I became aware of just how far short I was falling at Jesus as I'd look into the, the uh, reflection of the word of God and see the image of Jesus and compare it to myself and recognize that I was not where I needed to be in my living experience and the spirit of God just making him more and more alive to me. It was during this time in my desperate search for God, as I looked at the scriptures, I said, God, I, I remember sitting in my car. I think I was at Fort Lewis, Washington, outside of the army barracks by myself, looking at the scriptures, reading things in the Bible and saying, God, where is this power to rescue me? I know the answer to my dilemma is in Jesus, but I don't seem to be able to figure out how to experience more of Christ so that I can overcome this horrible fear, this horrible condemnation. How do I get out of this place, God? I'm desperate. So I earnestly was crying out. I sensed there was more power to be experienced in God than what I knew by just claiming the scriptures and crying out to God in prayer. I said, God, I know it's in Jesus someplace, but I, I'm not finding this. I'm not experiencing this. I began to have fellowship with uh, a family, literally, who was walking in a level of relationship with God in an experience of the Spirit of God that was foreign to me. In fact, most people that I knew in my Christian fellowship would say that the experience they're talking about is of the devil. That's not God. And so I feared it until I just got so desperate. I began to pray, God, is this Holy Spirit to be more real in my own living experience? And if so, how do I get there? So I began to be exposed to people of a bigger faith than my own, a faith in a supernatural God capable of doing well beyond what I could do in my own efforts as a good Christian person. So I began to have fellowship with these people, and it created in me this hunger and desire to know more of God's spirit and, and sensing that the spirit of God might empower me more than what I was knowing in my present relationship with Christ. And I call, recall reading a small book that had been given to me by this Christian family where I saw that they were walking in something other than what I knew called, And You Shall Receive Power. And I thought, this is it. This little booklet is going to talk to me about how to walk in a greater power of God. And I was alone in my apartment room. I was reading through this booklet, basically talking about taking a step of faith outside of the boat like Peter did and believing that Jesus would lay his hands on me and infuse me, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I came to a place of kneeling by my bed, literally crying out to God, oh God, I need more of you. I need your power. If this is true, if your Holy Spirit is to be poured out on me, God, please, I'm looking to you to do this and to manifest it to me, God, please, oh God. And as I prayed earnestly, nothing happened. I laid back on my floor in kind of a sit-up position with my knees bent, 
despondent. And as I laid there, I sensed God say to me, what are you doing on your back in the presence of Almighty God? And I turned and got down on my face and I began to pray. And as I began to pray, I began to speak a language other than my own that came from my lips. I must have prayed that way for 30 minutes, almost afraid to stop, fearful that it might not ever start again. And that launched me into an appreciation for a supernatural God who is capable of delivering me from a spirit of fear. Now, it didn't happen right away. I prayed in my understanding. I prayed in the spirit because the scriptures told me that it would build up the believer as you did this, and I certainly needed being built up. But what basically happened in that place in my life is that experience opened to me an understanding that the God I believe in is much bigger and more able and supernatural well beyond my understanding. And he loves me and he can be trusted. Ask, seek, knock, and keep doing so. And if your father, who is evil, knows how to give you good gifts, then how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who asked? And I continued to ask for more and more and more of God in my living experience. Now, I'll tell you, that did not result in my pain, in my bondage, being broken off my life. I then entered into another deeper level of relationship with God and knowing him, pursuing him. But eventually, praying and praying, really, I prayed every scripture I knew. I did everything, fasting. I did everything I knew to do as a spiritual person. But on one particular morning in my morning devotional, the word of God came alive to me out of Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. So let's turn to that just for a moment. Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever wants to, whoever will lose their life for me will save it. And in that moment, the Spirit of God caused that Word of God to come alive, alive in my experience because I recognized my death was coming as a result of trying to save my own life and protect myself from doing things that would make me feel guilty. I was working, giving so much life and energy to avoid doing things wrong so that I wouldn't experience that guilt in my life. And on that morning, when the Spirit of God enlightened that scripture to me, I understood God was saying that in order to save my life, I would have to lose it, which for me meant that in the particulars of my life, where a situation presented itself in such a way that I was specifically concerned that I might do something wrong. It was an inventory in the Army around classified equipment that I had to do regularly as a commander. And I was in a place of doing this regular inventory. I would complete the inventory of several items with some other person, get to the end of the inventory list, and then I would begin to feel like, 
I was going to have to sign this document certifying that everything was there. And I thought to myself, what if tomorrow something comes up missing? And I've signed this document saying that I know for sure it's there. And I would say to my partner, could we do this again? And he'd kind of look at me, yeah, I guess we could do it again. And we would do it again. But that's how this plagued me. When that scripture came alive to me, God basically said, Jim, when you go into that vault and you do that inventory, you do it one time to the best of your ability and let it go. And I'm thinking, God, I don't know if I can do that. I know it sounds crazy, and I'd have to admit to you, I was. In that level of darkness, in that level of mental turmoil, I feared that if something happened and I was found wrong, I'd lose my commission, I'd lose my reputation, I'd lose my name, all those things that were my God, they would be put at risk if I did something wrong. God said, just let it go. And the next time I went into that vault, I said, God, this is it. I did the inventory one time and fearfully said, okay, I'm good. I signed it. I walked out. The next day, nothing happened. The next week, nothing happened. The next month, nothing happened. And I thought, it appears that I can trust God with my life, that maybe God really loves me enough that I can let go of this part of my life that I'm trying to hold on to. And in the moment this scripture started to come alive, and in the moment I began to obey it, I started to experience freedom from a spirit of fear that held me in bondage. I don't know exactly how it got into my life, how it plagued me so, but it controlled a lot of my living. And in that, in that day, day by day, week by week, I began to feel, I could literally feel the fear begin to lift out of my soul and my confidence and faith in God to begin to come to the place where I was coming into wholeness of life. This part of my story concludes with this. My wife and I were in a large church of 800 to 1,000 people. It was a church I was familiar with, but nobody knew this aspect of my living. They had a guest minister who came to preach from the platform. I was sitting, I think, front. I was right over about where Jonathan is. The man walks on the platform, and as he stands to center stage, he turns at me and he looks and he says, the Spirit of God is on you because the Lord has delivered you from a spirit of fear. The man didn't know me. God knew me. God knew the work that he accomplished to me, and that day he sealed it and said, Jim, you're free. And I experienced the very freedom we sang about earlier, about chains dropping off and the darkness that invaded my life being gone so that abundant living became my mantra. And I lived in the fullness of life in Jesus Christ and found God to be abundantly real in my life experience. So I, I came to appreciate just how wonderful freedom is. In fact, just before that experience, large congregation, same body of people, I'm sitting two-thirds of the way back. We're in a time of wonderful worship. The worship starts to quiet. You can sense God's spirit moving. And this man, now this will be unusual to some, but some of you have had some experience like this. This man standing behind me stood up in a booming voice and began to speak in a language I did not understand. 
He spoke for maybe 30 seconds in a powerful, strong voice right behind me so that it almost made me tremble. The pastor up several rows to the front got up and stood there and he said, the word of the Lord, why do you continue to pick up that which I've already dealt with? And in that day, I put my feet in the starting block like I was on a track and the gun went off and I launched out of that and I never looked back on that experience of my life in the darkness that I've been in other than in a moment like this to testify of the incredible delivering power of Almighty God. Why is it incredible? Because for that span of time, 10 to 12 years, I did not believe there was any way for me to get out and I would have to learn how to exist with this horrible thing in my life. God proved that wrong. There is nothing impossible with God. Take note, that 10 to 12 years was probably some of the most difficult, trying struggle of my living, but produced some of the most fruitful understanding of God in life. So the discipline, while unpleasant for the moment, produces a peaceable fruit of righteousness. And while you have to endure it through a nighttime, the morning will come and the tears will be gone, and you'll be walking in the newness of life. So I've shared these thoughts with you out of the letter of my life. There's so many other pages that I would love to share with you where God has proven himself faithful to me over 50 years. 50 years of pursuing and hungering after God, wanting him, obeying him, listening for him and trying to be his man such that I would repent when God showed me I was in error or sin. 50 years he's proven himself to be God in my life. He's shown himself to be dependable, trustworthy. He's sovereign. He's faithful. He's able. And he loves Jim Park. And when you get to the point when you really believe that the living God loves you by name, there's nothing impossible in being alive. This God loves me. I can trust him with my life. And here's where I close. For those who walk with me in faith, I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you would present yourselves and your bodies a living sacrifice unto God as your reasonable service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is good and perfect will. So brothers and sisters of Christ, be my encouragement to live my very best living following Jesus Christ. And together, let's pursue this wonderful God who's called us to himself. And for those that may not yet be in that place of knowing Jesus in the ways that I've talked about, let me share this closing passage out of 2 Corinthians 5. 
10 through 21. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things that we've done while in our body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What I am, what we are, is plain to God, and I hope is plain to you. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you, giving you an opportunity to take pride in us. For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for us and was raised again. God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore, and I am therefore, first and foremost, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And though God, as though God were making his appeal through me, I implore you, on Christ's behalf, on behalf of his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection from the dead. Be reconciled to God. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin in our place, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, for those who don't yet know this wonderful God, through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. At the age of 70, I implore you, consider Jesus Christ. It begins with such a small seed of faith. You might even say, God, I know my life falls short from your expectation. I'm not the man that you would like me to be. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. And make me the person you intend for me to be. I will trust in you. In Jesus' name. I close with this prayer. Almighty God, thank you. For life in you. Thank you for rescuing and saving my soul from my sin and wrongdoing. Thank you for redeeming me from the pit and darkness and fear and breaking the chain that wanted my life. Thank you for breaking it off from me and setting me free. And thank you for giving me such an abundant, enjoyable life, oh God. You've been so, so good to me. I bless you. Praise you. And thank you in the name of your Son, my Savior, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.
Yeah.